When Muslims perform the ritual circling of the Kaaba, called tawaf or circumambulation, they circle the Kaaba seven times in a counterclockwise direction. Like celestial bodies orbiting a star, the pilgrims make their revolutions around the Kaaba while also turning themselves, orienting and positioning themselves in a seen and unseen universe of circles. There are many metaphysical tracts written about the circle and the cube, powerful symbols of heaven and earth, and the kind of otherworldly beauty which that image calls to mind. The cube at the center, the circles flowing outward, like radiance pouring forth. The physical circles made around the Kaaba grow even larger as pilgrims continue performing the rituals of the Hajj and intersect with newer circles, which the gathering of the pilgrimage uniquely enables. The Hajj has long been the scene and site of multitudinous meetings and expanding networks and overlapping circles of acquaintance, knowledge, and religious experience. In order to learn more about the Tawaf and other circles of pilgrimage, I had an opportunity to speak with three pilgrims, Dr. Francesco Chiabotti, Shazwan Siddek, and Khadija Ali Campbell. Francesco is Associated Professor for Islamic Studies and Medieval History at Inalco in Paris and specializes in Islamic spirituality and intellectual history. Shazwan lives in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and is a compliance officer and member of several Muslim NGOs in Malaysia. Khadija Ali Campbell lives in Boston with her family and two children and is currently Dean of Student Well-Being at the Brookwood School. The unique insights and experiences of our three guests today really give us a window into the circumambulation of the Kaaba itself, as well as helping us understand the truly transformative experience of being part of such a tremendous gathering and taking those networks with you. I asked Francesco Chiabotti about the many dimensions of the Tawaf, and I think you'll find our conversation deeply fascinating. Francesco, can you start by talking a little bit about the tawaf that we see, this physical tawaf, how it's done, how many times, what's taking place during the circling of the Kaaba? And then can you then layer for us the kind of non-physical, less visible, more hidden dimensions, if we could call them, of the tawaf as well? Well, the right of the tawaf is not mentioned as such in the Quran. But the sacred text mentions those who make the tawaf. And uh, in two verses, Surah Baqarah, the verse 125, and Surah Al-Hajj, the verse 26, in both cases, the rites of the Hajj are linked to the figure of Abraham. So, for instance, in the Surah Al-Baqarah, the, the text says, and we urge Abraham and Ismael to purify my house for those who circumambulate it and those who go into retreat and those who kneel down and prostrate themselves. So the right itself is not mentioned, but the Quran mentions those who make the tawaf. The tawaf is made in counterclockwise uh, sense around the Kaaba from the Blackstone to the Blackstone and there are uh, several details which are described in the in the Sunnah so in the practice of the Prophet which are not mentioned in the Quran but this is a common feature from for Islamic rites and um, for instance the number seven doesn't come from the Quran itself, it comes from, from the Sunnah and it can maybe is something that was already practiced be- before before Islam, but we have no we have no data about this. The Prophet, uh, according to all the Islamic sources, uh, circumambulate seven times ar- around the Kaaba. Uh, and there are other details about the, 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 the way of uh, walking and then to, to run, run slowly 
uh, around the around the Kaaba, uh, which kind of special invocations uh, to pronounce while 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 turning around the Kaaba, and and so on. So there there is a physical tawaf which is visible, and uh, which is linked to the figure of Abraham, but we cannot say that every uh, every Hajj every pilgrim has this awareness of making something which which is linked to the figure of the of 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 Abraham but according to the to the to the Quran uh, this rite has a commemorative function to, to link the practicer to the uh, time of the foundation of the rite which is according to Islam the time of Abraham and uh, this belonged to a general general uh, tendency of the last part of the life of the Prophet Muhammad, which is to, 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 to establish an Abrahamic religion, a new Abrahamic religion where the connection to Abraham was extremely strong. And towards the, the end of his life uh, and toward the end of the revelation, uh, the, the, the Quranic text uh, stress more and more the importance of the figure of Abraham and it is in this context that uh, the, 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 the right of the Hajj is re-established uh, toward the end of the life of the Prophet. So this is to reply uh, to the first part of your questions but you're, you're right that there is something invisible uh, that takes place during the during the Tawaf and which is linked to the a non-visible, a non-visible or let's say less visible uh, tawaf, and this is about the the connection of the Kaaba, of a, the ancient house, to an, an another invisible house that the Islamic tradition called the Bayt al-Ma'mur, which can be translated as the 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 the, the, the visited house, huh? and. And this Beit al-Mahmur is quoted in different kind of sources, uh, belonging to different kind of narratives as well. For instance, we have a, a book of Hadith, but also uh, historical books who uh, traces the, the sacred history of, of, of Mecca or of the Kaaba, or the 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 Miraj narrative, so the, the, all these kind of uh, texts that are recollecting the, 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 the celestial journey of Prophet Muhammad. And so in all these kind of sources, uh, we have this idea of a special place, which is above the seventh uh, sky, and which is the, a, a kind of reflection of the physical Kaaba, and we visited by the by the angels and the, the number of the angels is is significant because it's, it's according to one source is it's 70,000 70, uh, angels which is reminds us of the number 7 so the number 7 is quite important in this context because it's a sacred number in in, in, mo in most all all uh, civilizations but uh, and in Islam as, as well so you you have this the idea the, this idea of seven uh, sacred uh, say ritual uh, circumambulation uh, which can be linked due to this connection with the, the seventh sky above the seventh sky with the seven events so the, the seven layers above the above the the, the, the earth uh, I think that this is a, a explicit, explicit uh, way way of introducing the uh, another dimension of the Hajj. Uh, as if the pilgrim was uh, realizing something that goes beyond beyond the the, the, the physical the physical world, and uh, and in there's a connection with the. The, the, the spiritual journey of the prophet with the, the celestial journey of the prophet the, the, the mirage who, who, who journeyed uh, through the seven events uh, and maybe this is not conscious I think in a, when you for every haji but at the same time some, some spiritual masters uh, realized that there was a, the, a special link between the Tawaf and let's say 
less visible realities. I would just would like to give a few examples. Uh, uh, an ancient master, which was a Shibli from Baghdad of the 10th century, uh, just asked one of his disciples if he realized turning around the Kaaba that he was running away from the physical world. And it was a, and because, because it is the inner dimension of the of the tawaf uh, to separate oneself from the material world. And uh, when we have another uh, description of uh, of the of the experience of the tawaf by the great uh, Sufi Andalusian master Muhyiddin ibn Arabi uh, in his Futuhat al-Mekia, the Meccan openings, uh, who relates that he had the the, the revelation, the spiritual revelation of the seven divine attributes from that he realized that manifested themselves to him in each of of this uh, of the of the round in around the Kaaba, uh, and there are other examples for this. Thank you, Francesco. That really gives us a sense of how pilgrims are participating in the physical world, which is all around them, but also consciously or unconsciously, a part of something greater than ourselves. Um, this joining of circles, as it were, this joining of multiple praying beings, um, seen and unseen, that, that feels like such a powerful image of the Tawaf. Um, Francesco, just as a way of thinking about these invisible tawafs a little differently too, and more practically, what other non-visual orbits are taking place in the Hajj? The kind of cultural orbits, as it were, that take place when pilgrims gather and exchange. Well, it is sure that the one, one of the, let's say, side functions of the pilgrimage was to bring the Ummah together once in the year. And as if you, if you consider that the Islamic world uh, became through the centuries com more complex and complex, uh, and the boundaries of the Islamic uh, civilization was broader and broader, uh, the Kaaba became the center of a of a really connected world, and this was one of the function that uh, the, the, the Hajj assumed through the centuries was to connect all the boundaries of the Isla Islamic civilizations and bringing people together from all over the world. And in, in this context, uh, this, this is a very uh, particular feature of the, of the Hajj uh, that we can observe through many docu historical documents. Let, I would like just to give you some examples. Uh, in the medieval period, during the, 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 the end of the, 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 of the Seljuk period, uh, there was a special family who holds a, 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 um, the function of the Imam of the Maqam Ibrahim. They are the, the Tabari, but not the Tabari as the, the great uh, Mufassir. It's another family who, who settled uh, from Tabaristan in, uh, in Mecca. And they had this function of Imam Maqam Ibrahim, which was a new function that uh, appeared uh, sometimes in history, and they and they they held they held this fu function of being the Imam of the Maqam of Maqam Ibrahim uh, through history. And Francesco, can you tell us what is the Maqam Ibrahim very briefly, just sure. for anyone who doesn't know? Mm -hmm. for, for sure, uh, the Maqam Ibrahim is a stone on which the footprint of Abraham are in imprinted on it, and um, it belongs to the rites of the Hajj, because the Prophet used to make a little prayer of two, two units, two rakats, behind it, behind it. And it's known as such as Maqam Ibrahim from the Quranic text, because the, 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 in, two, in two passages the Quran mentions the Maqam Ibrahim, so this is a proof that it was known uh, already at the time of the Prophet. And, and then in the in the book of hadith uh, we have this description of uh, of uh, of the of the of this little prayer uh, which has to be performed 
after the seven, the, f the seven, the seven circumambulation, circumambulation ar around the Kaaba, and it's it's a part of the of the pilgrimage. So it's 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 an important rite, and uh, it is the only uh, the, uh, moment in which the, the the name of Abraham is explicitly mentioned. Uh, uh, otherwise, uh, it's implicit. Its presence all around the during the Hajj. I mean, it's it's implicit, but in the Makam Ibrahim, his name is appears clearly. So it's an important connection to to Abraham as a Abraham has a as the, the the foundation of the of the right of the Hajj. So uh, returning back to the family, uh, we can notice that uh, they were teaching Hadith in this uh, Adu Makam Ibrahim and those who, who studied hadith with, with the members of, of this family recorded in their isnad, in their chain of transmission, that they learned uh, a special collection of hadith or hadith in general in this place. So this, this is mentioned in the isnad. So, and, uh, and I heard the maqam of uh, the imam of the maqam Ibrahim uh, relating as this hadith in the year such and such at the Maqam Ibrahim itself uh, or in other places of the of the sacred temple are, are also mentioned in other collections so we can we can see how the this on the let's say the the, the, the global memory of, of, of Islam uh, take a record of the of the of the Mac of, of Mecca and of the the time of the Hajj uh, while uh, uh, widespread in Isnads. So in Isnads, you will find the 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 the, the, uh, the name of the some places of the the of the Kaaba, uh, or the, of the like the Makam Ibrahim, or under the black stones and and so on. Uh, and we have some example. For instance, just let 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 me come back to Ibn Arabi. He, he, he received the the, the, the the Sunan of the of Tirmidhi by a member of this by another Imam. It was not the, the same family, but the Makam Ibrahim. He was saying that he received the, a lot of Hadith in, in this place, and he, he, he mentions this. So it, it was really important to him that he received. Uh, uh, Hadith in this place, and uh, but there are uh, we can have some some analysis that during the during the Hajj uh, there was a, a special exchange going on uh, between between scholars between Islamic scholars and um, and and something more that we can we can hand is that uh, some of them settled in Mecca. Be settling, be, be uh, uh, Mujawir, so spending some time in Mecca was something that was noticed in the biographies of of the scholars, and Mecca became a really important place of of uh, of, of learning in the pre pre modern period. Francesco, as a way of just concluding us and taking us out, you can give us one more dimension of that. Uh, non-physical dimensions of the tawaf that you had mentioned earlier. Yes, I would like to add something. You know, uh, the image of the pilgrims turning around the Kaaba, according to to the Moroccan scholar and Sufi Ahmed ibn Ajiba of the 18th century uh, from Tetuan, he says in his uh, uh, commentary to the Quran that. This is the image of the spiritual realities of the entire universe who are turning around the heart of the pilgrim. And this is a reference to a famous Hadith Qudsi, uh, sacred tradition, which states that uh, the heart of man is able to encompass God's reality, not to contain it physically, but to encompass it uh, in the meaning, let's say it's it's a matter of knowledge, and um, and in this sense, uh, I would I would like also to add a history a history from Ibn Arabi, again, who who he practiced the the he made the the, the, the pilgrimage, and after the seven circumambulation around the Kaaba from the Tawaf al Ifada, so one of the last uh, moment of the Hajj. 
it just start meditating behind behind the Makam Ibrahim, this footprint of the of Abraham, and there he had a uh, a revelation, uh, inner, uh, invisible voice telling him that uh, he was about to realize the station of Abraham, and the station was not the physical place, but the station in the in the sense of the spiritual station of Abraham, and then he explained what being be, becoming like Abraham was for him. So, and this is a long, a long, a long passage in the in the in, in his Futuhat al the Meccan openings, uh, in which he simply quotes seven uh, verses from the Quran relating Abrahamic uh, features like the the the, the helm. Um, and, uh, and and other Abrahamic uh, characteristics, and he said that he, w he was about to realize it, uh, and, uh, and in this sense, this is a good example of uh, of seeing this right as a as a door, as a do door to invisible other invisible orbits. Francesco's vivid description of movement from black stone to black stone, as the sight of one layer of these multitudinous circles taking place during the Hajj, and the importance of a link with the Prophet Ibrahim, peace be upon him, is incredibly moving in the way it expands our understanding of circles, not just the physical circumambulations of the Kaaba, but the circles of time and circles of knowledge. I asked Shazwan and Khadija about their experiences of the Tawaf in order to learn more about the physical and non-physical circles taking place and being made in the Hajj. Shazwan made the pilgrimage in 2017 and Khadija in 2015, and both share their reflections as if they were yesterday. Shazwan, I guess we should start at the beginning. How did you get to your Hajj? What was your travel and preparation to the Hajj like? Okay, right, but um, there's, a, there's actually a lot that went into it. So um, I think I'll, I'll start with the very beginning uh, where, when because over here in Malaysia is a bit different in the sense that uh, it's all managed by a body, a government body. So all preparations, all approvals to go for Hajj will come from that body, right? So. Um, I've put it in an application many, many years ago, and my actual call date is um, maybe 30, 40 years from, 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 the, from uh, 2017. So, but uh, for some reason, I, um, both myself and my wife, we were called. And when we received the application letter, I'm sorry, we received the notice from the body, we were, we were a little bit shocked. Uh, but at the same time, we went in and, and we did some inquiry, and then um, we've got to we got to know that um, they were prioritizing many youngsters uh, for for that particular year. And but maybe I think it's just Alhamdulillah Allah's work, and, and that's that's the reason why we got it. And but of course we had to go through all those necessary checks, the health screening, uh, just to make sure that uh, we are we are fit to go for Hajj. Um, so once when when every all of that is when, when all of that was clear, then the actual preparation came in. Um, so we had to go for classes. Uh, we attended a few classes which the which that government body organized, and um, we went through it. That's where we learned uh, some of the practical uh, issues, some of the practical things that that we will probably encounter when we go there, and of course um, getting more tips from uh, our family members who have went. Uh, that also added more more value into it, uh, but in terms of preparation itself, uh, we I I I went a little bit further to to do a little more research to find out what's actually there and then how do you best prepare yourself. So it's not just a physical preparation; it's more for mental preparation and just understanding why you are going in the first place. You know the the main purpose, and um, it's more to knowing why you why you're doing it and what they're going to expect at the end of the day. So put all of that together and that's where exercises came into the picture, constant readings and then um, frequent, um, basically like, uh, there were a lot of questions that needed answers. 
and you know the why question why 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 do we do this why do we do that that kind of thing so we, we didn't want to go just go blindly uh, and, and do it just for the sake of doing it uh, or what what helped me uh, personally was that uh, I, I actually went for umrah uh, many many years ago so that gave me a little bit of some insight right so when i when, when we were preparing for hajj my wife was going for the first time so she relied 100 percent on me so um i i managed to to tell her a little bit how it looks like over there and then uh, doing the preparations reading things together with her going through it telling a little bit of the seerah rasulullah and a little bit of what actually happened and uh, answering to the prophet ibrahim's call and all that so making making it feel more like uh, like it's it's a call that you need to answer and and because of that the whole entire preparation was 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 quite magical i would say until we went there and then everything else uh, it was a different scenario altogether over there. <laughs> yeah so uh, but it helped it helped a lot how did your expectations and your preparations differ from what you actually experienced okay so what we were told in classes when we attended those classes is um, how the hajj uh, scenario will look like and then the entire process of the hajj that's it we were not told of what to expect uh, our surroundings in terms of our surroundings we were not told what's there so when we reached there we noticed um, the weather is a bit different we were not accustomed accustomed to all of that the weather changes and then we had health issues uh, and then the medications that didn't quite work well with us but alhamdulillah we brought along a lot of our local medications and that that helped us a lot um, and then just mixing around with other nationalities uh, we were not told <clears throat> that you know we, we are, you are there together with other people with other cultural differences right so going there itself is a challenge not not so much on the ritual itself but blending it with your surrounding and the same time realizing that you are there for hajj you know suppressing everything else that comes in between or whatever thoughts that you have in your mind or in your heart putting all of that aside and just answering and submitting to Allah and that's it when when you are there in this crowd now which you you know sort of have described as a challenging crowd as well it's it's obviously you're all there with the same intentions but the crowd has its own challenges how did you experience the the gathering of the hajj how did you experience it doing tawaf um you know an arafah in the different parts on sa doing the sa'i how did you experience the crowd the, the crowd itself um was massive in terms of in terms of volume and it was in 2017 that um, there was an increase in the quota for Hajj, but uh, when we were there, we faced a little bit of constraint in, in, in the sense that um, some of the camps that were allocated for, for Southeast Asia's um, group were, were not enough to accommodate the, the large crowd that came in. So in terms of volume, it was massive. It was, it was a lot of people, but Alhamdulillah, everybody was was helping out each other we didn't know each other we did we, we are coming from different backgrounds but we are we are all we look at it as we are all equals and especially during tawaf so the, the magical thing about tawaf is that um, because we were told that if you have time just do the tawaf if you have time do the sunnah tawaf you know that we were told that and, and um, we did that as, as 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 much as we could but the good thing is that when you are there in front of the Kaaba, it's, uh, it's, it's a magical feeling in the sense that everything becomes like so serene. You feel, you feel like everything is, is calm. The crowd is there. You know it's, it's massive. When you look at the pictures, it's, it's just massive. And people wonder how can you actually be there in that massive crowd. But at that point of time, it doesn't look like that. It doesn't even feel like that. You know, the amount of crowd, the people in there, obviously there was some pushing here and there, but nothing much. We were all, we were all fine. And we did our tawaf um, perfectly without any issues. And we enjoyed our, our, our the company with, with the people around. So I noticed a lot of things happening during the tawaf as well. Uh, 
out of nowhere and this was this was just pure magic like subhanallah because while we were doing it in that massive crowd there were disabled individuals who were also doing it with us and there was one person who is who's doing the tawaf without his legs he doesn't have legs so he's just moving with his with his hands and in that massive crowd how could have could he have done that and he's in smack middle of the kaaba you know it's so he he's just there and and you, you just can't imagine how all of that is happening and is is just by mercy of allah that everything is so smooth it's just is just so beautiful it's so smooth and that's that's the magical part about it and knowing that you is just not you there i mean you're not doing the tawaf alone you know that the angels are doing the tawaf together with you and you know there's another kaaba above you and you know it's all moving simultaneously together so it's just it's just a magical experience being there just being in front of kaaba itself do you feel like you know this thing you've mentioned about you know this non-visible presence you know is that something you were conscious of while you were doing your hajj is it something you think about during or is that something that you think about after that wow we were actually part of a human gathering but also something you know much bigger than ourselves something cosmological in a way is that something you experience while you're there well just to be honest i i tried to keep this in my mind before doing the hajj so as, as I, I was uh, entering into the mosque, I, I start to build this, this uh, mentality that I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to be doing Hajj. And I was constantly told by my teachers, uh, even, even my family members, the most important thing, especially during Tawaf, is your Adab. You have to, to maintain your Adab because uh, you, 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 you are walking and I mean together with other people. At the same time, you know, angels are around you and it's the same ritual that prophets did in the past. You know, Prophet Muhammad did that as well. So knowing all of this, it makes you to, to be in more control. So when, after being uh, around the, the Kaaba, that area, I mean, when you, when you started off with, with the Tawaf itself, immediately I, I put it into my heart and my mind that I need to take care of my adab. So whatever happens, uh, anyone who comes in and, and and shoves me at the back or anything like that, it, it does happen, especially in, in huge crowds like that. But because of the sense of adab that is in 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 uh, in the mind and in the heart, uh, you maintain your your posture and you maintain your control and just continuously doing the the the, the tawaf, the seven rounds, and reciting the dua, the zikr, and and at the same time that feeling comes uh, naturally. That you're doing it you're not doing it alone you're doing it with the prophets together you're doing it you know with the angels and all that do you feel like being in the kaaba makes that easier somehow is is the kaaba a special place somehow that we try to be patient and have that kind of adab all the time but it's not so easy does it come easier at the, at the in in this space or is it harder how did you experience that i noticed um i tried my level best to to do the the tawaf exactly around the uh, the area right not not moving out too much and not going to the second floor or the third floor yeah because then the the the, the rounds become much bigger in that sense yeah but i was constantly told by my teachers that if you can get yourself near to the kaaba that's better because you will feel there's some sort of veil that that that's that's protecting protecting you from the sun that's one and then you will feel you will feel some sort of magical experience doing it so i tried my level best and alhamdulillah most of the tawas were done directly beside the kaaba and i went very close to the kaaba many times and this is um, the time when the crowd was massive but managed to get close to it managed to pray managed to kiss the hajarul aswad and that was that was a that hajarul aswad experience is a completely different experience it's a it's definitely a magical one because many attempts were made to get close to the Hajar al-Aswad, but it, it all failed. But just with that one dua, the, the pathway opened up just like that. And everything stopped. Everything stopped. So, and the guards came in and the guards allowed me to come and kiss the Hajar al-Aswad without even fighting with anybody. And nobody could come in, in uh, after me. 
so that was just a magical experience so uh, being there actually um, makes a lot of difference which I think most people should try their very best to get close to the Kaaba. You will experience a lot. You know what you've just said about how time stopped, this path opened for you. Did you experience time differently on the Hajj? How, what was your experience of waqt, of this thing called time? I, to be honest, it was overwhelming because, um, of course, going uh, at a young age, typically Malaysians, they go at a very, um, very late in, in, in their age and you find a lot of uh, elderly people. I think when, typically that's how it is, right? So, but going at a very young age, um, there was a little bit of a um, sort of like, an, like a pressure to, to a certain extent, meaning that uh, you are expected to sort of help others around you if anyone needs help and, and, and maintaining, just maintaining adapt, maintaining, just trying to do uh, as much as you can, but at the same time, there were many requests, du'as, people sent over and, and all of this. So it, at one point, it became overwhelming. And this happened in Medina. At one point, uh, because I wrote a book, I brought, I brought along a small book and I wrote every single request from, from anyone. So I had a whole list of requests from friends, family members, name it, specific requests, general requests and all that. So I was going through that one by one. And then at that point, it suddenly struck me and, and it, it became too much. I thought I could do it. And that was back in Malaysia. I thought I could do it. I, I thought I could go and and just uh, read out those, those, those dua, but it became too much at one point. And then that's where I think uh, time and you know like the, 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 the meaning of time, uh, I, I, I could, I, I could say that it, it happened at that point of time where whatever struggles that you are facing, Allah listens to it. And, and it's so beautiful that it happened in Medina. And I'm, I'm sure Rasulullah has, has also heard, heard the problem, whatever problems that I was facing, because I, I, I released to him. I told him that I can't do this, it's too much. At one point, it was just taking up too much of my energy. And then the help came. And the help came again magically, randomly through a person who I did not know. And that person came and he told me exactly what I should be doing. And the tariqa, how should I be doing it? And how should I be making dua? And then I told him my struggles and he, he, gave, he gave me solutions to it, exactly like what I was, the, the problems that I was facing. So in terms of time, so it, it works, I would say like the, the difference in dimensions there's, there's nothing there that controls uh, how you say different layers of times. It's just you and Allah there, and everything works uh, together in, in parallel. I would say, yeah. So and it's beautiful. So any magical experience that you you go through and you you face over there, it's all happening at the same time, right? So it's quite it's quite magical. I would yeah, Shazwan, you um, what did you take with you? When you returned home, how did you come back different? I un I understood um, one thing that um, going going to Hajj is is not about you, so it's it's about helping others. It's about serving. It's about um, understanding your purpose, who you are. So, being I I was there for a good two and a half months. So uh, it was it was quite a long a, a, a long time I would say because some of them normally spend about twenty days thirty days or some of them even come in just for the Hajj and and then they leave back so I was there for for about two and a half months I experienced a lot of things uh, many many magical experiences and many things that tested my own ego things which I said I will not do that sort of things actually happened over there. And I, I, I went through those struggles as well. And I came out of it. And then at the end of the day, I realized that uh, we are nothing. We, we, are just, we are just servants of God. And Allah is there to help us and to guide us. So during Hajj, I, I completely surrendered myself to Him. I was walking, I cannot imagine um, thinking back again I think I, I, I think I walked 
literally seven hours uh, a day, back and forth. Mina to Mecca, Mecca to Mina. So it was back and forth, seven, seven hours plus with limited sleep. So I, I don't think I could have done that um, intentionally over here in Malaysia. I, I wouldn't be walking seven, seven hours a day just, just, just like that. Right? But that happened because I surrendered myself 100%. And I said, whatever happens, happens. I, I will just do it because that's, that's my purpose. So after coming back, I take back those lessons with me. And whatever I do, I surrender 100% to Allah. And, and so far, I noticed there's a lot of changes in the way I think. I'm more calmer, I'm more peaceful. So whatever obstacles that I face, it, it comes back to the struggles and the, 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 the thing, the experiences which I face during Hajj. And it comes back to that. And I use the same application back again to solve any issues that I have over here. And Alhamdulillah, it's been... Uh, it's been very good after coming back. Everything is starting to take place. Whatever dua that I've made over there, it's starting to picture itself. And to be honest, this is also one of the dua that I made. To be able to share the experience with, with people, but I never actually got that chance to do it. And now today, you, you, we are having this session. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Oh, Shazwan, that is just tremendously beautiful and powerful. Thank you so much for sharing these tremendous reflections with us. Thank you. My name's Khadija Ali Campbell. I'm now 34. I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, I went to Hajj in 2015. I was 27. <laughs> 26 or 27 honestly it's such a blur but I was in my 20s are your memories of the Hajj also a blur or do you feel like those are pretty crystal clear they are so crystal clear you remember every single ache and pain that you felt from Safa and Marwa to every joy that you felt when you were in Medina so it is a blur the 20s but no how could you ever forget but these moments are etched in there. Hard. Yeah, subhanAllah, right? That is so interesting. Yeah. So today, Khadija, I have some questions for you about the tawaf specifically. So not to make you ache even more in making you walk those steps again. But I wanted to start by asking you if you could just tell us about your experiencing of the tawaf, of this circumambulation of the Kaaba. Right. So... I went to, I was actually um, blessed to go to Hajj with my husband and who at that time, it was his second Hajj and he made it probably, oh my God, 24. He was 24, um, which is the joke in our house that he wasn't interested in Hajj until he met me because it was a part of our dowry that I he has to pay for me to go. <laughs> so he took advantage, but, um, and I'm six foot. So it was interesting coming into the haram as you're walking. I always felt like I was the biggest woman there because there's women from all over the world. But because of my height, a lot of the women were like either like neck to like my around my chest area or even smaller to my hip. So I, I thought in my head as I'm going around in the tawaf, I had this whole strategy. I'm going to go inside the Kaaba, stay far left. Like, you know, on the outskirt, weave my way in because I'm this big woman. <laughs> and my goal, of course, like everyone else, is to touch the black stone. But little to my knowledge of actually being able to go to Hajj, to doing some any type of practicing of the Tawas, my behind stayed that whole time <laughs> on the outskirt. But it was it was so beautiful. It, it reminds me of um, like a bee rhythm. There's this natural flow that people do. I don't like honeybees. Right. Bees. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like honeybees. There's this natural dance that we do that no matter what entrance you come in of the haram, everyone flows in. So like water, it just flows so nice. And I remember walking inside the haram and just going, oh, subhanAllah. Because you see the Kaaba, you know, all your life you're told about the Kaaba. We know it's there. You study. 
but it literally is there in front of you and it feels like there's no way man has created this like it feels like it's from somewhere has a very um supernatural i guess you can say essence of it that there's just no possible way um yeah that this was man-made and it's so beautiful what does that feel like to be to be there then it's so it's a weird nostalgic um feeling is one there's there's so many layers of it there's joy there's grief then there's this moment of like admiration a little bit so when i say joy because you're like oh my gosh i'm seeing it subhanallah um but there's this moment of grief where you feel like i saw it before my parents i seen it before my aunt i've seen it before whomever so many great people who probably will never have the chance or haven't had the chance um and then there was this also this joy of subhanallah you are picked to be there because as you know you have to get the invitation you can make your intentions but if allah doesn't grant you that invitation and i know you probably heard of so many stories of people getting right there and then something happened that day but you are able to be there and yeah, subhanAllah. And that is that, like, that awe moment you feel like, I, I need to take it in. I don't know what made me so special to be able to see this, but I'm going to be there. And then the tears, it comes. And it's the most ugliest cry, but it's okay because your next sister and brother <laughs> have the most ugliest cry as well. So it is it is a really really interesting feeling it's it's really hard to explain especially for someone who haven't been there and i've been there like you hear stories but it's not until you go there that you actually know exactly what someone's talking about that's such an interesting point because it feels like we can imagine so much about the hajj but experiencing it is is often completely different so the tawaf is is a walk and we walk all the time so how is the tawaf a different kind of a walk how is it different for you i think it's different because you walk in a sense of i mean it maybe it's two and two right we walk to relieve ourselves of some type of stress to clear our head whatever but when you're walking in the tawaf you're walking in the footsteps of so many early predecessors you are doing the walk that the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu did. You know, Prophet Ibrahim Alayhi Salam. There's so many sultans, many kings. So there's so many. This walk has a purpose, um, regardless of your everyday walk. I mean, yes, it serves a purpose, but this one is, is a higher um, purpose. And there's also this, this, this thought process that I'm walking for a final reward to come out clean. Right. Like I'm going. My intentions is to do the tawaf so that I am like as new as a baby, inshallah. That's what we're hoping for. So for me, that that's what that walk mean. And that's the difference between the everyday walk. Was it a challenging experience, the tawaf? Not the tawaf. The tawaf is actually the most easiest part. (laughs) It is the easiest part. It was only challenging coming from Mustalafa. Because we were just at this state that we just want to get out of Ikram and be done. <laughs> because after you spend your night and you are just exhausted, you're like, we probably got to the Haram at the Musalafa close to, I want to say, six in the morning because we actually walk that distance. And that was the most challenging part of the tawaf because you're just exhausted from the night before the day before you are praying you are as you know whatever you are doing in those moments between you and Allah um that was the hardest part to me the hardest part is Safa Amara Safa Amara is that is serious that that is a physical Yeah, that is really serious. Because of the physical aspect of it or some you know, emotional aspect too? It is it's three miles of marble floor and where the tawaf is seven 
you just got to go around seven times. So maybe a mile, which we can do easily, right? If we go to the mall, we can easily do going from one shopping center to another. But something about Safa and Marwa, and then we're trying to mimic, you know, what Hadjir did, the, the trot. I mean, the women don't have to, but we try. Um, and it's something about that bank. It's a corner bank. Um that happens where it's become almost so crowded, a human stampede can possibly happen. And that turning point to stay flat is so tough. My feet has not been the same <laughs> since. Mm-hmm. It is really, you know, as a woman, you could wear your socks. But what is socks to marble? Three miles up, three miles back, back and forth, back and forth. It is really, really, um, to me, that was the hardest part of the hut. Do you feel like the emotional experience of the Hajj, the the devotional experience rather, does it mitigate the physical challenge? How does it work hand in hand with those physical challenges? We often go and we only consider the emotional part. We, We are preparing ourselves mentally for the emotional part of the Hajj, what we're gonna see, the again, that all of being there and who was there before us. But honestly, I really don't think you could be the most physical person. Even my husband, he's very, like, physique. He's tall. He was like, this is the toughest part as well. There um, is flat land, and there's little hills. And Saudi Arabia, they do try to make it accommodating for the pilgrims because they know many people are coming, so they continue to make these layers. But... They're, each layer gets wider. So no matter if you are on the first floor, second, third, fifth floor, it is the same concept um, of that physical aspect. I really don't think you can physically be in a mindset that you can do this because you have, you'll have you be drained from the emotional part. So your body would just say, whatever's left, it just, it just does. So There's some people say that if you're not broken... You know, you haven't done your hudge right. <laughs> so you need to, that experience seems to be a part of it that we keep seeing again that and is, again. Yeah, that is so interesting. I never heard of that, but it sounds correct. It's also a little embarrassing because here I am in my 20s and I'm like, oh, struggling. Yes. And I'm next to some auntie who clearly is like in her 70s looking at me like ketchup. <laughs> So it is really funny thinking. I think that's another thing as a young person. We have this mindset that, you know, we're physically fit. We can do this. Um, Our aunties and uncles at the Hajj will let you know that you are not physically fit. And they've been doing this. (laughs) And they are often helping us during that time. So it is really, really um, such an interesting moment to be able to have that what was what you this, this can you describe for me these these interactions that you had because um with earlier in this episode we were chatting with dr francesco chiabotti and we talked about how tawaf is this these circles but also you're doing these physical circles around the kaaba but hajj is a lot about these social circles that are created as well and these networks that are built these relationships that are forged can you tell us a little bit about your experience being part of these other circles as well these non-visible circles right yeah um it was interesting because um during the tawaf i don't know it's something like as an american we kind of find each other (laughs) Like, I actually met one of my closest friends. We are still friends to this day um, during Hajj. It was uh, the moment where I wanted to just get to the Kaaba, but I couldn't get there. And I don't know how we, that networking, it was like a blessing from Allah that we found each other and her mother. She was there with her mother making Hajj, that we were just like, as soon as I said, I guess the way I said, Salaam Alaikum, she was like, American? <laughs> and we just gravitated to each other. And in that moment, we built the sisterhood to kind of like protect each other. So that way um, the mother can make her two rakas, be able to just be there and kind of like fortitude each other a little bit in a sense. Because as you know, the, the Tawals can be a little hectic, especially as you get closer. 
Um, but also it was interesting just seeing other Muslims and from around the world and how they may have uh, do their tawafs because it is different for everyone. It is, um, there's one way you are taught. There's another way that our Indonesian brothers, sisters are taught. Um, I also went to Hajj with eight women from Gambia. So, and um, that was interesting in a sense of just being in a space with Gambian women from New York City who had their own religious um, interpretation and what they were aiming and their goals and just comparing our lives to each other. So I'm personally a little introverted when it comes to those social networks, but I would say that the people that I did connect with, we, it's like, I don't know. I don't know if this was a divine thing. Allah was like, that's your person. <laughs> go go to that person and they will just have your back. And alhamdulillah, we've been able to, excuse me, to remain friends since. And we, we still talk about, remember that time when we met? <laughs> so, yeah. How weird was that? And it's like we just knew each other. In the Hajj. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're bonded by your experience now. In a, yeah, in a exactly. Exactly. You share. Yeah. They they do say, my mother-in-law, she says that. Um, her deepest friendships have been always with the people she went to Hajj with. Because now you have that shared struggle together. And you've seen mm-hmm. each other at the most vulnerable states. Yeah. No makeup. Yeah, no concealer. <laughs> We do all day, <laughs> physical or metaphysical yes. concealer. It's, exactly. it's all visible. Exactly. Yes. Or those those private moments when you're in the tent together, um, with the sisters. You know, so it's just yeah, it's a very vulnerable state, but it is a good blessing. It was a while ago now. So what do you think the tawaf? You know, it's it's alive in your memory, as you've said, those moments are so vivid. What do you think it means to you now as a Hajjah many years later? I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. I actually feel like I didn't do my Hajj justice. I think we all feel that way. When you go to Hajj, you need one more Hajj to just do something different. Um, I think the Tawaf... Again, it just signified to me like being able to be there. My parents have not um, been able to make Hajj. So having that before my own parents um, has been that, I guess, that weight I carry. But also I do intend to go back because I feel like I didn't do it any justice. Like I was there. I was so busy with being there in the moment and actually physically doing it that I feel like I didn't really connect deeply as I probably should have. And I again, I don't know if it plays with me being younger and still being in that wow sense like, oh my gosh, I'm here and it's stimulating and it's so many cultures and so many people and it's just a lot. As you know, our generation, a lot of stimulating can be too much. Um, so it is something that I do always think about. Like, I need to go back to do one more. one If I get the chance, one more Hajj. And then I'm really, like, religiously and spiritually connected to it because it's second nature. I did it before. So I know what to do better when I do 12. I know what du'a to recite now when I go and not realizing, oh shoot, after I left, I probably should have recited that du'a and that du'a. And how did I forget this du'a? So yeah, that, um, inshallah, that is the goal. It will be coming full circle then, actually. Inshallah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Inshallah. This time I hope to go with my kids. Inshallah. Yeah, inshallah. That is the biggest thing um, to make a hajj with them. Our guests today have all circled the Kaaba themselves, first as pilgrims and today in memory, helping all of us listening here to imagine the many layers and dimensions of tawaf, these visible and invisible dimensions of this rite of pilgrimage and what it allows us to imagine about ourselves as individuals in the crowd is astonishing. 
First, we are pilgrims among the millions of other pilgrims. Then, we are part of a crowd among even larger crowds of unseen beings. And then, part of a grand multitude of circling beings, everything in creation, turning to and orienting ourselves towards the Almighty. From Adam to Abraham to Muhammad, upon them be peace, and then back down to us, from Blackstone to Blackstone. I am deeply thankful to all three of our guests today for their illuminating reflections about making the tawaf around the Kaaba. And many thanks to all of you for tuning into this episode of our podcast. Your continued support of Cambridge Muslim College enables us to train the next generation of Muslim thinkers. Please do consider making a donation to the college today to ensure we continue this valuable work. Next time, we turn to the incredible reenactment of Hajar alayhi salam's search for water for her son Ismail and examine the wondrous ritual of the Sa'i.